whatever scenario you're in, you can be tax efficient, but you, you got to be, you got to, you got to have a good CPA and you got to be willing to step outside the box and get creative. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Dave Zook. Dave is a successful business owner, syndicator, and an investment and tax strategist. He's acquired more than $250 million of real estate since 2010, which include multifamily apartment units, multiple large institutional grade self-storage facilities, and a cleaner energy carbon distillation units, which produce pharmaceutical grade oil and liquids. Lots of stuff there, uh, Dave. And he's also one of the top, his team is also one of the top five ATM fund operators in the country. And Dave was an early investor in uh, Bitcoin and digital assets and currently has an advisory role at Off The Chain Capital. So Dave, man, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on. I uh, I was, as I said earlier, I can't believe I haven't had, had you on the show yet. Uh, you know, so excited to have you. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm, I'm excited as well. I look forward to it. Cool. So why don't, how about you give our listeners a bit more about your background? I mean, you, you've got a lot going on. You've done a lot in the industry. Um, so super exciting. You're serving your investors uh, extremely well. And so uh, why don't you just dive in a little bit more about your background? So I was very fortunate. I was born and raised in, a, in an entrepreneurial business owner type family. And so, you know, I first started working in the business at six years old, just, you know, doing the little task, work my way up into the business. Um, we, we, we have a family owned modular building business. And so, you know, many of the uh, business opportunities, you know, as I grew up and got into my late teens, early 20s, I invested in some other you know, sort of ancillary type businesses that had to do with the modular building space. And so started a couple of businesses of my own, got to the point where they got really, you know, started doing really well and got to the point at, at one time, uh, more than a decade ago, just over a decade ago, got to the point where I had to pay around a half a million dollars in tax. And um, I just remember thinking, man, it, you know, at the time I was, putting a lot of hours in it really didn't feel like work because I was having so much fun and and it's it, I was doing my thing I loved it but at the point where I had to give a half million dollars back to the government uh, that wasn't so much fun and I had to figure that out and so I really got into the investment real estate space um, as a sort of more from a tax perspective than even from a longer term wealth building, cash flow, equity growth, and that kind of thing. I needed tax protection. I was a business guy. At, the, at that time, I had specifically made up my mind that I wasn't going to invest in real estate. Just I had watched my dad sort of invest in real estate. I had watched him buy some single family homes and self-manage some of them single family homes. And I just decided that wasn't going to be me ever. And um, so I went down the business path. But it was at the point where I started kind of doing my homework and figuring out that 
real estate, specifically multifamily. And when you apply cost seg studies and you get really strategic, you can really um, use real estate as a wealth or a tax protection vehicle. And that's the approach that I brought. And that's what got me into the real estate space. That's interesting. So many people take, they, they use real estate to build their wealth. Right. And you, I mean, obviously you built your wealth through some, some of your wealth through real estate, but that wasn't the problem, right? The problem, it wasn't, Hey, how do I make more money? How do I create more income? How do I grow my net worth? It was, how do I not pay $500,000 a year in taxes? What do I do? Uh, And that probably speaks to a lot of the investors. I'd imagine that you're approaching, um, with that as well. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming do you, as you, is that part of, is that kind of a niche of yours to how you talk with investors? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very involved in, in a lot of complex tax strategic planning. Somebody sells their dental practice or somebody sells their, you know, AC business or somebody has some kind of liquidity event. And, and oftentimes I'm helping them strategize uh, through those types of situations. And one of the things I learned um, early on was once I figured out how to control my tax liability, then I started looking around and figuring out, well, there's a lot of people that have that same problem that I had. And, you know, they've, they've gotten to the point where they built some you know, a very successful business. Um, they were head down, charging forward, paying attention to their business and growing that business, but not paying attention that from a, or not even understanding the, the tax perspective. And just, they were in that camp. It was like, hey, made a lot of money. Got to pay a lot of tax. That's conventional thinking, right? Uh, but just being able to kind of teach that there is a different way, there is a better way that that's not, you don't have to go down that, status quo, pay a lot, you know, make a lot of money, pay a lot of tax route, there are options. And so teaching people how to be tax efficient has been a passion of mine. Uh, you know, whether that's, I just put out a, a you know, a, a newsletter, the other, you know, a few weeks ago that talked about, you know, some of the things that I hear on a regular basis, you know, people think that they're stuck in you know, their situation is different. And obviously everybody's situation is different. Everybody's situation is different than my situation or your situation. And so they get caught up in this thing. Well, it doesn't work for me. I got a W-2 job and I make a lot of W-2 income. You know, that can't work for me. Or I got a, you know, I had a big liquidity event. I sold a business. That means I got to pay the tax. Or I had, you know, I'm, I'm now taking you know, the minimum requirements out of my IRA because I'm 72 years old, whatever. You can be tax efficient, whatever scenario you're in, you can be tax efficient, but you got to be, you got to, you got to have a good CPA and you got to be willing to step outside the box and get creative. Yeah. And that's super important to understand is there's always a solution for the problem that you have. It's just, you have to surround yourself with the right people. Right. And, and you have to be able to step out of the box. Uh, Everybody thinks a certain way and, it's just kind of status quo, right? But if you're willing to go outside of status quo, there's likely a solution for the problem that you have. I trademarked a quote, by the way, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's, uh, you can be wealthy, you can be conventional, or you can be wealthy, pick one. Uh-huh. You know, so if you, if you really want to, 
if you really want to um, have outsized, you know, wealth or equity or cash flow or, you know, income streams, or you, you just, you, you got to think outside the box. You can't, you can't think like everybody else around you, you know, conventional thinking is going to kill your financial dreams. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent agree with that, man. So you, you started multifamily, uh, but now you've expanded, right? You're, you're doing more than just multifamily. You've got uh, some self storage. You've got this, um, t- tell me about this cleaner energy. Um, t- tell me about that. What is, what is that? Yeah. So to take a step back a little bit, you know, I never, I, I didn't start investing thinking that I was going to be a syndicator. I, and, and this is, this is what happens even to this day. You know, I get into a, I get into an asset class that I get excited about that I start using for myself to build wealth and not only build wealth, but, but also in many cases, I'm, you know, protecting my own tax, you know, myself from my own tax liability. And when I find a great deal like that, I find an asset and a strategy that really works for me. I can't help but want to share it. And so that's how I get into some of these asset classes. You know, oftentimes, and I'll give you an example, like oftentimes I'll get into the asset class way ahead of my investors. So I was an ATM investor probably four years before I brought it to my investors. Uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was an ATM investor. I was passively investing in ATMs about four years before I took it to my investors. I was doing a lot of multifamily. I'd done several hundred units of, of multifamily apartments on my own before I took it out and started you know, sharing it with investors in my community. And so when I hear or see an asset class that catches my interest, like the carbon distillation, um, you know, that has a really interesting tax component around it, has good cash flow. It's just, a, you know, if it works for me, oftentimes I'll get into that deal first and then I'll take it to my investor base. And so that was a very good asset class from a cash flow perspective, 100% bonus depreciation, and it gave the investors, and this was something that really caught my interest in, and this wasn't something that fell into my lap. This was something that, that I've got, I got interest or I got introduced to the team, but then I sort of handcrafted the, the investment or the depreciation the way that I wanted to, to work for, for our investors. And of course, you know, I had my CPA, blessed. We got an opinion letter written up by one of the top um, uh, CPA teams in the country, but we, we basically put it together where you got a working interest lease going all the way back to the mine. So, so the investors are, you know, if, you, if you've ever invested in oil and gas, you, you'll, you'll be somewhat familiar with this, but you're an investor is involved in the process from the very beginning, all the way back to the mine. And then from to the very end, when you're selling that commodity. And so you've got a working interest lease we're using section 469, which basically waives the active participation rule. It's the same rule that many of the oil and gas uh, drilling folks use. So, so we're get, we got it to the point where you can use that 100% bonus depreciation to offset your W-2 or any income. So, you know, many people think that, oh, well, I'm W-2, I, there's nothing I can do. Well, 
there is something that you can do. You just got to get creative. So we we built that to sort of take care of our high paid professional investors, our doctors, our dentists, our CPAs, our lawyers. And, you know, those people have very few things they, that they can use to offset their tax liability. We built that for them and for us. Yeah, that's that's. That's interesting. I mean, you're really looking at what your investors are needing, what what other people are needing, and and how can you know how can, how can it work for you, but also how can it work for them and and putting something together. So that, that's really uh, that's really cool. I've got a question though. I mean, you know, you said ATM, for instance, you invested in that for about four years before bringing it to your investors. Why did you wait so long? Was it just to make sure that it was really a good product or what's the reason why you waited so long? You know how you sometimes, and and this often happens when you have a coach in your business or when you have a mentor or something like that, there's something sitting right under your nose and you don't notice it. To me, when I got started syndicating, there was very few people doing anything in the syndication world besides multifamily apartments. That was sort of the asset class of choice. And so to me, getting into the syndication world was like, okay, there's, there's multifamily apartments. I, and, and I never once thought about bringing, well, actually, you know, I'll, I'll back up a second. I was in the multifamily apartment space I got started in that space about the same time I started passively investing in in ATMs. My now partners in the ATM world were watching me build my syndication business on the on the multifamily apartment side, and they approached me, and I turned them down because of what I just said. You know, I mean, syndication world was for multifamily apartment guys, right? I mean, you don't syndicate ATMs. Who ever heard of that? Nobody's doing it, right? So I had to get out of my own way. And I had to, I had to, you know, at the end of the day, I had to say to myself, okay, I love this asset class. It does what I want it to do for me. It provides, you know, cash flow. It provides 100% bonus appreciation. That works really well for me. Why would it, why would it not work for my investors? And so, I had to get out of my own way. It was sitting on my nose for, you know, four years and I never once thought about taking my investors. It was, it was at the time where my then partners, well, they weren't my partners at that point. I was just a passive investor of theirs, but uh, they reached out to me and said, Hey, you, you know, what do you think? Do you want to take us out to your group? And I, I turned them down at first, but they kept, they kept coming at me. And then finally I was like, Hey, this works. And, and, you know, the thing too, Todd is, is it, it sounds incredibly selfish, but I do this stuff for me first. You know, I, I, I get into an asset class. I'll give you a quick example. I uh, am a good friend of, of Tika Tawori, who is, you know, internationally known as the crypto expert and, you know, writes for one of the most successful uh, financial newsletters in the world. And, you know, he pointed to a, a little company called, it was kind of a startup at the time, it was a little company called Off The Chain Capital. And Off The Chain Capital had had a nice little run. They were, you know, one of the, they were the top performing um, crypto digital asset blockchain fund in the world for the last, had been for the last, you know, year or two before I got involved. And, and so I invested with them 
And, you know, a year and a half, almost two years later, I'm like, man, this is amazing. I watch this team. We're way outperforming Bitcoin, which is harder to do than what it sounds. You know, it's, it's a little bit like Wall Street. A lot of your traders, you know, there's only a, a tiny little percent of them that will actually outperform the, the general market. Same way in the blockchain space. You know, you can, you can you can run a fund and you can, you know, have this business plan like we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to, at the end of the day, there's so, there's a tiny little percentage that actually outperform Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, this off-chain capital has now been the top performing blockchain digital assets fund in the world. And I'm sitting there watching and build the team, seeing who's around you know, this, this company watching and build this company and being the top performing fund in the world is like, there's no way I can't share this, but it starts with me. Like, does it work for me? Is this an asset class that I get excited about? And then, you know, how can I take it out to my investors? You know, you, you said that maybe it's a selfish approach and maybe it is, but it's also a very prudent approach for your investors. You're making sure you're seeing if it works. It's working for you. You go, well, I got to share this because this is working. And then you bring it to your investors where I feel like most people in this business and really in business in general, have an idea, think it works, feel like it works and bring it to the investors to get it to work um, and to make sure it works. That's kind of how I would say most business owners are doing things. Most syndicators are doing things. Hey, I got this idea. I think it's going to work. I feel like it's going to work. I can. I think I can get it to work. Will you invest with me? And you're going, hey, this works. I've been investing in it. If you're interested, jump on board. Um, so well, and you're, and, and you're right. You know, you're, uh, you know, and, and that's that's the goal of mine is to de-risk it as far, you know, as much as I can before I get before I take it to my investor group, because I'll be honest, I mean, I, you know, there may be five to 10 investments that I make personally that my investors never, never hear about it. But yeah. if I get on one, if I get on one that, that I get excited about, and I, I, I think has a lot of upside potential and I've sort of proven it out, can't help but share it. Yeah. Well, I, I love that kind of just model idea is, you know what, if I love this, if it, if it really makes sense and if it, I feel like it fits for my investors, I, I just can't help share it. I, I love that kind of idea uh, behind how your business operates. I'm excited to tell you that the North Star Real Estate Conference is gonna be this May 2nd and 3rd in the Twin Cities. We're gonna have amazing speakers there who will add great value to you. But the real value is in the networking where you can meet potential partners, learn about deals and make some real money. Our three pillars are connect, learn and succeed because that's what you're going to do so sign up today at northstarunlimited.live and use coupon code earlybird for a hundred dollars off your ticket let's talk about the business specifically um you can even go back to your your business days with your family business um let's just talk about some of the things that you've done and you've seen done that really create a successful powerful business so what are a couple of key, maybe two or three just key items that you feel really have helped propel your success? Just key like, um, you know, takes that, that you feel are powerful. Um, you gotta, you gotta be consistent. I mean, you, you gotta show up. 
you you've you know i mean as you're build, uh, building a business it, you know like, as you can imagine it's not it's not all fun you know i mean when you're when you're in the game and you're passionate about business and serving people and, and all that most of it's fun but there's there, you know there's that grind you got to be willing to show up and and be consistent and get into the grit and the grind of things and know that you know, not everything you, not every decision you make is going to work. You know, we, we got this thing in our, in, in our one modular uh, company is, you know, and it, and it, you know, it has to do around sales and marketing. And that's really what I like to do is, is marketing and, and, you know, I'm probably not a, a, you know, a terrible sales guy either, but um, you know, it's, it's like you, you try five different things and i'm talking specifically about marketing here you try five different things three of them might be like total failures one of them might be yeah okay whatever and then one of them sticks and then you basically build around the one that sticks and 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 really grow with it um so yeah th those couple things consistently not being not being afraid to try new things you know get outside of your your little box your conventional box try new things try to be on the cutting edge of you know let's say new technology that comes out that you can leverage um those, those are some of the things that that i look at that that has served me well in our in our modular businesses yeah i think the <clears throat> be willing to grind it, it i feel like right now uh, especially you got these uh you got some quite a few personalities out there that that have made being an entrepreneur super attractive to people but i don't feel like the truth is told right <laughs> very much being an entrepreneur is not as as glamorous as some of these uh talking heads like to to tell everybody right i mean there, there's bumps and bruises along the way there's plenty of uh there's plenty of stress that happens there's plenty of times where you lose money uh where just just things aren't going right um man i i mean i just look back at at when covid first hit i was like well this could this could bring me down like who knows if my tenants never pay rent again um which they don't have to you know not, I can't survive. Like I have to have income coming in. Eventually we're just gonna have to close the doors. And, and that's the real life of an entrepreneur, not the, the glamor, the, you know, you, and, and even, roller coaster. Yeah. It's a roller coaster. And you hear people on podcasts, you know, we're talking about your successes, but you've had plenty of bumps along the way as have I, and, but people don't talk as much about that. There's always a, a success story in the end. Um, so well, I'll, to, I'll break, I'll, I'll break that code. I'm just going to say, about, let's, transition. Let, let's talk about one of those, uh, failures or so, bumps along the way. Yeah. So two, three years ago, um, I had a partner, we had, you know, 3000 plus doors in the multifamily, uh, space. And I had a partner that, um, developed stage four cancer mm -hmm. and my partner was my property manager. So we had, we, everything we owned, almost everything we owned in the multifamily space was, you know, he was a 12 and a half percent partner in the deal and he was my manager. And so, you know, this happened and then his team came in behind him and kind of took over the portfolio and it wasn't long until I started seeing the cracks and I realized that they were taking, making off with money. That was, this was their opportunity to, 
to uh, take advantage of, you know, my, my partner's laying in, in the hospital almost dying. And, and so, you know, the, you know, I eventually had to take over the portfolio and I had to take, um, take over all of it. I had to get a legal team involved. And, and you know, uh, at the time when uh, every dollar that we had, the portfolios in a slide and every dollar that we had should have been going into the properties to kind of, you know, revitalize and kind of keep them on the track. I mean, we're talking C-class multifamily. Things can go wrong quickly in C-class multifamily if you don't have a great operator and you're not on top of things. I had to take over that portfolio that was in a slide and, you know, I had to pay him to get out of the way. So I had to pay him a couple hundred grand to step out of the way. So then I could take over the problem that he and his team had created. Um, I had to backstop some of that, uh, you know, some of that multifamily apartment units. I paid out of pocket on my side personally that I'll never get back. Um, but we got it to the point where we sold, we're selling our, I got three properties in the Memphis marketplace yet we're selling the one today and that'll get me down to two. So, um, you know, and, and some of them, there was a few that we lost money on and, and, you know, there was, there was two or three that we lost money on. There was two or three that we four maybe that we broke even on or maybe just a little over break and broke even then there was some that look we just you know two months ago we we sold one that we were all in for whatever 11 ish million and we sold it for 17.6 and and so you know the, there was so yeah quite a mixed bag there but i mean the, the the point is that that was a painful very high stress i mean i lost a lot of weight lost a lot of sleep, um, created insomnia. I couldn't sleep for, I couldn't sleep. It affected my sleep for more than two years. Yeah. And so to go through that, you got to be willing to go through that to get to the point where, you know, the, the people that you mentioned that show the fancy cars and the big checks and the nice houses on the beach, you got to be willing to go through some of the muck to get to the point where you get to the other side and, and you know, you can live the life that many people only dream of. Yeah, and if you if you buy those fancy cars and the the beautiful house on the beach and all that kind of stuff, and you get into the situation that you're in, you might not be able to get through it uh, if yeah. if you buy too much of that stuff. So, uh, well, I mean, good for you for be for being willing to pour some of your own money into that you probably never get back. Uh, you know that that uh, that speaks volumes of your character, and and I'm you know I'm happy to hear that that you're willing to do that. How how did the how did the communication with the investors look, and how was their overall reaction to it? I'm sure there's it's a mixed bag there as well. You probably have some people that are like, you know what, stuff happens. You probably have some people that are like, hey, you know, this is shame on you. But what's the overall like communication and, and investor kind of, you know, I guess feeling around it. Well, same thing there. You had the you had the guys um, showing the checks on social media, saying, "Yep, I'm sending out the checks and all that." But nobody talks about the you know, hey, gonna have, gonna have to have those those hard conversations with with some investors. Oh yeah, but um, my buddy Ken, Kenny McElroy said it best. I think he said, um, "Delivering bad news early builds trust." Yeah. And so, you know, and, and so, you know, just we had to deliver that bad news. 
but I think my investors got the picture, you know, pretty early that I wasn't going anywhere. I was going to stay in the fight. It was going to cost me my last dollar. And, and so, you know, that built a lot of trust. And one, you know, the, the, the guys that I felt the worst for was when, let's say you're in a property that, you know, you lost a little money on, or you, you broke even on, and that was the only deal that they had done. That was, that was hard. Um, the guys who had done quite a few deals with me, three, four, five, six, eight, ten 10 deals with me. And, you know, I mean, I'll, get, I'll just give you an example. We closed a property, a self-storage deal um, last month that uh, we just sent out distributions uh, actually a couple of weeks ago. Um, we delivered a 61% annualized return on that self-storage facility. So you, you have a guy, you have an investor who has that in his portfolio and he has some ATMs in his portfolio. He has some, you know, some other self-storage, you know, and, and then you've got this one that, uh, sorry, I mean, it's, you know, uh, that, 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 that one sucked. You know, you have that one, you know, you know so most people he's not too, yeah, he's totally not understood. Too yeah, he's not too worried about that one. He just made 61% annualized return on the other one this one whatever made nothing or even lost a few bucks it's like you know whatever that that means instead of 61 percent overall i made 30 percent overall like still yeah. dang good so so overall no i've i've got a great bunch of investors i i you know can't say enough about them i love getting around them you know and uh no, it, it, they were, they were very understanding and patient during that time. And, and I love them for it. I think one of the key takeaways there, at least for me, uh, and for, I should be for my listeners though, is you need to communicate clearly with your investors and don't wait, do it early, do it right away. When you know a problem is arising, you have to get on it immediately. And that builds that trust. The last thing you want to do is say, we've had this problem for six months or them find out about a pro the worst case would be they find out about a problem. Yeah. And you didn't tell them about it. I mean, absolutely. That's going to completely blow your trust uh, for those investors and, and you're probably going to lose them all. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, man, I, I appreciate you telling that story. A lot, a lot of people would not tell that story on, uh, you know, on a public uh, podcast, it gets out to everybody. So I really appreciate you telling that story. Again, it shows your character. Uh, you're willing to tell about your mistakes that you've, that you've made. It's part um, of the, part of the entrepreneur's journey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as much as we don't want it to be, it, it just is. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you this, somebody, look, we all know that we've had a nice run from 2009 until, you know, Sure, we had a bump. We had a couple bumps and bruises in 2020 and 2020, you know, last year. Last year. But for me, if somebody who's never been through the muck, um, I'd be a little hesitant. You know, I want to I want to see somebody with some gray hairs and some bumps and bruises and and, uh, you know, somebody that, that's had to work through some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that that shows um, you know, that, that shows some resilience and they got some scar tissue. You know, I, I want, I want to invest with those guys. 
Yeah. Have, have you, have you been able to make a couple of tough calls to your investors? Have you been able to like, have, has, has there been those times of sleepless nights and, and a little bit of uh, uh, unrest and panic uh, and stress? You hopefully you've had that because uh, until you experience it, uh, it's hard to say how that person's going to react to it. Exactly. Well, and the, and the thing too is you learn the most when you're going through hard stuff. Yeah. You don't learn you don't learn all that much when everything's going well. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um. So so. Moving forward, where are you guys going? Um, is it is it more of the same? Is it uh, you just continue to invest in, in different things and you'll bring those opportunities to investors? Or, or where's the company going? So for me, it's easy. And I'll go back to what I told you about how it starts with me. Every year, I got to figure out, okay, I got this bucket of income on the passive side. I got this bucket of income on the income side. I'm, I may be selling something. I may have capital gains. I got to figure out, I got to get the right assets that I can invest in this year that will help keep me tax efficient. So it starts with me. And when I find that, I mean, I'll give you another example. So we, uh, I've been a, a natural gas investor for the last almost four years. And I'm a natural gas investor because I believe in the longer term natural gas story. And so I invested, I mean, if you look at the natural gas charts, you'll, you'll realize that in early years of when I was investing in natural gas, I mean, we, we broke, I mean, we, we dipped down below break even, you know, because in natural gas, I mean, we, we just, you know, we were in a terrible bear market for the last, whatever, five, six years. So, you know, but I, did that for a couple of reasons. One was tax. One was to build long-term wealth. And the other was I wanted to, I wanted to have a, an asset class that protected my ordinary income. So, you know, again, I, I, I did that for four years for myself. So when I, when I am putting these pieces in place, these asset classes in place, I'm doing it for me first. So I'm not, you know, I'm not out trying to figure out what everybody else's problem is, but if I can fix me, I oftentimes have the same problem that, you know, they have. And so if I can leverage what I figured out for myself and, and help people and, and help people get tax efficient, it, uh, again, it starts with me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. All right, man. A couple last questions before uh, we wrap up. Um, how, how do you like to give back? What do you like to do? Um, so I have a couple uh, organizations who I believe in strongly and I write them checks. Um, then I also have a donor advice fund that I, that I'm, you know, active in that I um, um, invest in or, or place assets in or, or point income streams to one of the, one of the, causes or one of the things that that I finance from that donor advice fund is is a widow's fund hmm. so um, you know if there's a if there's a a widow in in the community that that you know a recent widow in the community or something I, I'll, I'll put them on a um, monthly um, distribution um, uh, something to help support them um, so 
couple things like that. Um, you know, there's there's a, quite a number of things that I that I support uh, today. But uh, I would encourage you or your listeners if you want to uh, look at a you know what I feel like has really helped me in being an effective giver. Start your own donor advice fund. You can make one distribution or or, or, or one pledge or one um, financial pledge a year if you want or a couple. Uh, but once the money is in there, then it's like not yours anymore, right? So now you you get to choose where you get to direct it. And it and you know I used to be in a situation where I would have the money, and then I didn't really see the need, and then and then I would make a, an acquisition or purchase of some kind, and then a need would pop up, and it's like oh, man I don't have the money, and so now you make the contribution, that's not your money no more. You just get to direct it. So for me, that would that was a, a really effective way for me to give. That's a, that's a really great idea to do. Uh, the reason why I ask that question is because I've been trying to be more uh, just conscious about where what I'm giving and how I'm giving and showing up like that. And I just find that you know, like this year, I'm like, man, I, I really fell short of what I probably should have given and. How can I be more aware of it? Uh, and that that makes a lot of sense just to set that aside because I get the same way. It's like, wow, you know, I this big chunk of money comes in, I gotta, I gotta give that, I gotta give a certain percentage. And you you don't find the right places maybe to put it at the time. And then all of a sudden an investment opportunity comes or something comes and you and you and all of a sudden now you don't have the money because you sh- you should have put it here, but then it, you didn't find a place for it. So you used it over here. Yeah. So I, I've done the same thing. So uh, that's, that's great. That's a great. Well, I'm happy to, I'm, ha- I'm happy to share my uh, contact with you in that space. If, if you're interested, I, I'll make an intro. That'd be great. Um, what's a favorite book uh, that you can give to our listeners? So everybody uh, in the investment or entrepreneur space has to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, so that's, that's a must. Um, but more recently, and, and you know, probably everybody in your, in your world has heard of that one and read it. But more recently, um, we, we do a book study every, every month, a uh, small group of us, uh, 10 business guys in the local community. Uh, we get together and um, I, my pick, we always we all take turns having our pick of the month. And uh, so my pick was Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Yeah. And uh, for, you know, for, for entrepreneurs and business owners, we're often geared to believe that if it's got to get done, I got to do it. Well, that's another one of those conventional thinking things that we get trapped into. And if you want leverage and you want to scale anything, you got to get out of that mindset. You got to figure out, you know, that who not how book was, was, was a really good read. I think as entrepreneurs, we're just inherently the worst at, at delegating uh, tasks because we, I, I think we all have too big of egos and we think we can do it all ourselves. We have trouble, we have trouble getting out of our own way. <laughs> we, do, we do, we do. I need to read that book. I, I think every single day because uh, I, I read it. I go, yes, I know. I understand. And then I still take and do those things that I shouldn't be doing. Uh, and yeah. what I'm sure we all do as entrepreneurs. 
Um, all right. So last question before I wrap, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? So, I mean, obviously if you want to create financial wealth, you gotta, you gotta set aside some of the money that you make or earn, and you've got to put it into assets that will produce cash flow and produce equity and produce, you know, just income of some sort. Um, you know, if you don't have the discipline to do that, and I don't care if you make 30 grand a year, 50 grand a year, hundred grand a year, million dollars a year, whatever. If you don't have the discipline to do that, um, that's going to be a problem, you know? Um, so if you can, I mean, I, you know, you can create your own sort of percentages, what, what, you know, what you want to set aside for investing, what you want to set aside for whatever savings or whatever, you can build your own, but just have one, you know, you can get more aggressive next year. You can, you know, you can ramp that up, you know, as you can, but keep yourself uncomfortable. Um, and then the, uh, you know, education, I'm constantly reading something or following somebody or, you know, keeping up on somebody's writings or, you know, just educate yourself and make sure you're, you're staying up on whatever asset class you're interested in or whatever group you're following, you know, whatever your interests are, just make sure you're educating yourself. And then um, if you're not keeping an eye on tax, if you're not being tax efficient, that's going to end up being one of your biggest costs throughout your entire life. So, you know, the way I see it, if I knock down my highest tax brackets and I'm being tax efficient, my return on investment that first year that I invest in a in an asset can be 37%. And that doesn't even count the, that doesn't even take into consideration the cash flow or the equity growth or anything. You're just you're just making 30 37% return on your investment the first year. And so those those three things I think for me um, has gotten me the most leverage. That's a great point with the tax thing. And most people don't think about that. Like if you can eliminate some tax, you just created 37% or whatever your tax basis is. That's what you created in, in return right there. I mean, sure. Yeah. What a beautiful, I mean, you're going to, you're going to pay it. You're going to pay it. You're going to make the investment or you're going to pay the tax. Right. So, I mean, I look at it as a return on your on my investment, my first year return. Yeah. I like the, uh, what you, what you said there about being uncomfortable too. Um, you know, and invest enough money to where you're uncomfortable. You got to continue to push the envelope to, but you, everybody wants to be comfortable so quickly. Um, everybody wants to see that success so quickly. And I think a part of it's, you know, to show off to people or I don't know what it is exactly, but uh, you got to be uncomfortable. If you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you're just, you're not, you're not going to get there. Like you said, it doesn't matter if you make 30 grand a year or a million dollars a year, if you're not willing to, to put that money uh, to work, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and, you know, most people give up what they want most for what they want now, you know, and so some of that is deferring gratification. Um, some of that is, you know, making those uncomfortable choices, making those choices that are a little painful, but you know, it, it depends what you want and how bad you want. Love it. Well, great stuff, uh, Dave. I really appreciate you joining us uh, on the show. I, I figured it'd be a great interview and it's, it's been a lot of fun. So how can our listeners get in touch with you learn more about what you got going on, maybe follow what you're doing? 
Our website is therealassetinvestor.com. And there's several of these asset classes that I talked about. We have, you know, market reports or investment summaries. We can get you information on them if you, if, if you want. Um, and if you email info at therealassetinvestor.com, um, one of my team will get back to you and, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, Dave, again, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us and you have a fantastic rest of the day. You got it. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.